Today's scripture reading is taken from Psalm 116 from the Old Chapter. You can find it on page 564 to 565. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me, the pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, save my life. What shall I return to the Lord for all his bounty to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful ones. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the child of your serving maid. You have loosened my bonds. I will offer to you a thanksgiving sacrifice and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Remember that 13-week sermon series I preached that came to an end just before Easter, the one about basic Christian doctrine? Uh, Well, I left out a major topic. And actually, you could make the case, I'm surprised no one uh, has, uh, that I left out a lot of topics, uh, ones that we could have talked about, maybe should have talked about. But one major topic that I neglected is the sacrament, this meal which we are going to share together in just a few moments. Uh, Our our New Testament reading for today from Luke's Gospel offers us a wonderful window uh, into the Lord's Supper and what it means. And if you've been coming forward your whole life for uh, what we like to call communion or the Lord's Supper uh, or the Eucharist, it's possible that you have never known what was happening or what was supposed to happen or what you were supposed to be feeling uh, as you came forward. Uh, I understand that the meal is a mystery, and in fact, I, I, I do my best to guard the mystery and to be a steward of this uh, mystery, but uh, we should know what we're doing, don't you think? And as we understand the meal better, <clears throat> as we understand it in, in greater depth, then it can become more important to us. Uh, it, it can be something that we can't live without, as a matter of fact. It's something we, we begin to put on our calendars. Uh, something we would never want to miss. That would be my uh, hope for us. Well, a great deal happens in the story I'm about to read for you, and I can't go into uh, all of it. So what I want to do is focus our attention uh, this morning on the meal itself and what happens as Jesus and two of his disciples sit at table and share a meal. Let's look together. If you have a Bible, I invite you to uh, follow along. Let's look together at Luke chapter 24. And this story, which is a long one, begins at verse 13. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were walking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. 
but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us? while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us. That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together, and they were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, I don't know if uh, you've ever noticed this before, or if you have, if it has made any impression at all on you. But Jesus, uh, in the gospel stories, spends a lot of time having meals with people, or getting ready to have meals with people, or, or in one place, this is in Uh, the Zacchaeus story, inviting himself over for a meal. Uh, In in that story, I I love this, Jesus says to Zacchaeus, I am coming to your house today. Uh, Jesus does other things in the Gospels too. Uh, 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 In the Gospel stories, he teaches. He walks along the roads of, of first century Palestine and talks to the people that he meets along the way. He takes boat rides with the disciples on the Sea of Galilee and so on. But mealtime, right? sitting or uh, apparently reclining at table with friends, is extraordinarily important in the biblical story. Mealtime is important to us too, of course, and 
Uh, I apologize in advance if talking about a meal is making you hungry right now. That is not my intent. Uh, but in the, the, the time we have today, I want to think with you about food and about mealtime and what it means uh, spiritually. You might wonder why this is so important. I mean, of course, Jesus and uh, his friends had to eat. Right? They needed the strength uh, uh, to do all of the walking that people in the first century uh, had to do. But in the Bible, and, and see if you don't agree with me uh, about this, in the Bible, a meal is never about the, the meal itself. Right? There's always this other layer of meaning. There's always more going on than the simple act of chewing and swallowing. In Luke 7, just to take uh, one example, Jesus was having a meal at the home of a Pharisee uh, when a woman who's described only in the story as a sinner, uh, we don't know anything else uh, about her, uh, she washes Jesus' feet with her tears. And then she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. And then she anoints Jesus' feet with perfume. And the disapproval from everybody around the table uh, uh, was swift I mean, people are never shy about telling you uh, that they think you did something wrong. Uh, but in the story, Jesus seemed genuinely moved by uh, what she had done. And so he sent the woman away with the words, Your faith has saved you. All right, go in peace. Uh, Luke 10, Jesus is at the home of Mary and Martha. And Martha becomes uh, irritated uh, over Mary's refusal to help with the meal. And you can almost, uh, the way the story is told, you can almost hear her making more noise than is necessary in the kitchen because she wants everybody to know how, how angry she is. It's, it's a wonderful glimpse into uh, domestic life in the first century. And Jesus wisely stays out of this dispute between two sisters uh, until finally Martha demands that, that, he, uh, that Jesus reprimand uh, her sister for not helping so at that point, Jesus becomes involved, and, and he said that Mary was doing what he calls the needful thing. And, and the dispute is settled, but the story seems to say, and, and this is what I want you to see, that coming together for a meal is not, first of all, about the food. Uh, in, in the ancient Near East, mealtime, uh, as you probably know, was very, very important uh, as a way to show hospitality. And uh, this is still true today, which you may know if you've done any traveling at all in, in that part of the world. Uh, hospitality, especially to strangers, and this may be hard for some of us from other cultures uh, to appreciate, but hospitality to strangers is extraordinarily important. Almost an obligation, except that an obligation is exactly the opposite of how you want your guests to, to, to feel. So it would be unthinkable it would be unthinkable not to invite someone in for a meal uh, or for something to drink or simply to get out of the, the, the sunshine. On a mission trip to, to northern Israel uh, one time, the group I was leading uh, was staying in a mostly Arab uh, village. And there was a wedding on a Saturday night. And because we were there, we were invited to come. And uh, if you're from a Western culture, you just don't go to a wedding. Uh, unless you have received an invitation printed on fancy paper and, and unless you have a beautifully wrapped uh, present to, to bring with you, right? And, and uh, it, I mean, it would be a social faux pas uh, just to uh, show up at a wedding reception, but not there, right? Half of our group decided not to go and I was in that half 
And uh, we regretted the decision later, to be honest, when we heard all of the dancing and the laughter and the gunfire. Uh, uh, but a few of us, right, because of the way we had been brought up, just could not imagine uh, having gone to this wedding uh, without an invitation. When my daughters were married, I-, I would not have been pleased if a bunch of people showed up at, at, at the reception at the last minute. Anyway, I, I think that there is no way There is no way to understand our gospel reading for today, right, without understanding the importance of hospitality, especially hospitality to strangers. As Jesus and those two disciples uh, approach the the village of Emmaus, uh, Jesus pretends that he is going on and and that there is some place that he has to be. And I say pretends because he knows. At that moment, he knows uh, what will happen. Uh, (laughs) I mean, he knows that they will insist that he come inside and stay the night, that they will share whatever food they have. Uh, He he knows that they will be insulted if if he refuses. I mean, these are the social norms in that part of the world. Uh, In Genesis 18, most of you, I think, know this story. Uh, Three strangers show up one day at the home of of, uh, Abraham and Sarah, And these three strangers, as it turns out, are messengers from God, although Abraham and Sarah didn't know that until later. And Abraham and Sarah go to extraordinary lengths. You should read the story sometime to see how much they do for three people they do not know. They go to extraordinary lengths to welcome them and to feed them and to show them hospitality. And obviously, there was no hospitality industry at the time, no hotels with complimentary breakfast buffets, But even so, there is something in the story that seems to say how important it is to show kindness and to offer a welcome to strangers. Uh, Paul's letter to the Hebrews even points back to this story in in Genesis and, and says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. So here's the first thing I would like you to see. When you and I come to the table uh, uh, to receive that little piece of bread and and the thimble full of of wine or or juice, uh, here's what we're often thinking. Am I doing this the right way? I I, I should be looking around to see how other people uh, receive the elements. and, 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 And what am I supposed to say when he gives me the bread? Right? Is there a right way to receive the bread? Or, or, I mean, do I have my hands like this? What am I supposed to do? Uh, lots of questions about communion etiquette. Right? As though the most important question we could ask at a moment like this is, which fork do I use? Right? If you were somehow able to set aside all of those questions, right? and by the way, just so you know, I, I, perhaps this will make you feel better, I think about all of those things when I receive communion in an unfamiliar place. But if you could somehow set aside all of those questions and remember at that moment that you are hungry and thirsty and that you are in need, desperate need, and that you are a broken person and that you have been invited to share in this meal because the host invited you to share it, then maybe you, like those two disciples in the story, will meet the risen Lord at this table. 
Uh, remember, these disciples are filled with, with, with grief and confusion. Their world has been turned upside down. They, they don't know anything about anything anymore. They're going through the motions of inviting a stranger to eat with them because what else is there to do? This is the proper posture or attitude or feeling to bring to this meal. The moment we say, I don't know anything anymore, I am tired, I can't cry another tear, it is then that we are ready to meet the risen Lord and to recognize him present with us. Often we come to the table and we think, well, that was odd, I didn't feel anything. But I wonder if that feeling, uh, or or lack of feeling, uh, think about this, uh, I wonder if that isn't because we forget in that moment how desperate we really are. Show me a broken, hungry, desperate person, and I will show you someone who is ready, spiritually ready, to come to this table. There's one more thing I would like you to see here, and, and uh, maybe you've already noticed the interesting twist that occurs in this story. Maybe you're way ahead of me on this. Uh, I said that the disciples were coming to the table to receive, but aren't they the hosts? The, the, the question, I think, is what happened here? Right? The, the, the hosts have become the guests, and the guests somehow became the host. Uh, Maybe you notice the words that that Luke uh, uses to describe the scene at the table. Uh, We read here, and this is very important, Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And this is language that should be familiar to all of us. Uh, We first hear those words, by the way, all the way back in uh, the story of the feeding of the 5,000, Luke chapter 9. So uh, Jesus, uh, Luke tells us there, uh, took the five loaves and, and the two fish, He blessed them, he broke them, and then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the crowds. The the Last Supper has not yet taken place. Uh, Jesus has not yet said, do this in remembrance of me. Uh, But he is introducing us. All the way back there, he is introducing us to a sacramental way of thinking. He is the host at the table, no one else, and he is making it possible for us to come. So here's what I want you to see. We, we just assume that we are in charge. We just assume that we know better about everything. We invited a stranger into our house and into our church, and, and we intend to show the stranger a good time because we know what's best for him. I mean, it's our house, after all, and it's our church, and it's our food, and, and these are our customs and our way of doing things. It never occurs to us that maybe there is something we can learn from the guest who has entered our church. The word for hospitality in the New Testament, I think this is very interesting. The Greek word is xenophilia, which literally means love of stranger or love of foreigner or or, or love of that which is definitely not familiar. We tend to think of hospitality as what we do for our dearest friends. Right, But that's not hospitality in the, the biblical sense of the word. There is a sense in, in, in biblical hospitality that the host takes delight in the guest and, and, and wants to know everything about him or, or her and, and that the host asks questions right, and shows interest in, in, in the guest. 
well, this is, this is the reverse of how we usually think. And, and, and so in the Lord's Supper, just when we think we are in charge, the, the guest becomes the host. So Jesus goes from being a random person walking down the road uh, to the person who knows the scriptures better than we do. Who explains the scriptures better than we have ever heard them explained before. I mean, tell me, isn't this how hospitality is supposed to work? True hospitality, biblical hospitality. We, we make the wonderful and humbling discovery that the guest has something to offer to us. Right? Something to teach us. Our, our, our pride, our arrogance, our presumption, all of it is turned upside down. I, I mean, we just assume, as I said, that we know better. The disciples in the story were incredulous. They were disbelieving about this stranger's ignorance. One of them says, this is beautiful, are, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in those, in, in those days? Well, it, and so they're ready to tell him what he needs to know. And, and in fact, they can't wait to explain everything because we love to demonstrate how much we know. But as we listen to the stranger, you know, as we become quiet, as we make ourselves humble, as we reach out in love to the stranger, we discover that, oh my, we don't know everything. That there is so much more we could learn. I know this feeling very well, by the way. Uh, I mean, to assume that the random stranger on the street doesn't know very much. And, and that maybe I should explain how things work around here. Uh, it is in my nature to do this. I don't know why. Ask my daughters. Uh, I love to explain to them how things work, even when they don't ask for my explanation. Uh, I think they were maybe uh, 10 or 11 uh, when I noticed that they were not really listening anymore. <laughs> when I was pouring out the nuggets of wisdom for them to appreciate. You know, I think they stopped listening years before. And, and then, this is one of the mysteries of the meal. And, and really one of the mysteries of God's grace. We make the discovery that the stranger has taught us something. That the stranger has offered to us the gift of life. That he has offered us the very thing we most needed. Right? That's what the story seems to say. So when you come to the table today, it is not about the, the etiquette, it's not about which fork uh, you use, but every time you come to the table, I invite you to come in humility. Right? The, the stranger who is Jesus Christ the Lord may have something to teach you. He may have something for you that you never, ever dreamed possible. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.